Okay, I'm going to invite you to return to your seats. Besides eyes and ears and something between your ears, um, you're also going to need a Bible this morning. And you're going to need a handout, which Christina is handing out, and pen, a pen, which Kathy is handing out. So if you don't have a pen, flag Kathy down. Christina has handouts. I, I am really hoping everyone has one of these. I, I would actually like to see them. Like, could you hold it up? And if you're holding your phone, I am trusting you have that app open. I'm going through a lot of scripture this morning, okay? And I've put a fair number of the scriptures that I'm going to be going through on the handout. And I'm doing that specifically so that because we are going through so many, you can go back to them. Okay, and I put fill in the blanks on the handout because I know some people get really anal about that, and I like that. And so follow along and uh, fill in the blanks as you go. All right. Let's, let's pray. Lord, I, I approach this topic feeling completely inadequate. I'm relying on you, that apart from you, I can do nothing. And especially with this topic, uh, apart from you, we can do absolutely nothing. But with you, we can do all things. Would you open our minds to understand your scriptures, and not just cognitively, but down in the deepest parts of us where we get it? And we bond with it emotionally and commit ourselves to following you wherever you take us. Would you guide this time this morning so that your will is done, your word is spoken, your word is received, your spirit empowers, and you send us out. In Jesus' name, amen. I am going to do Q&A, and I'm flagging that up front because this is a topic that raises questions for people. And it, we're going to take more than one week to, to deal with this. Um, but just FYI that towards the end of the message, in fact, you'll see it on your handout, we are going to do Q&A this morning. So as a question comes to mind, feel free to jot it down, and I do hope we will get to those. Uh, Olivia, would you put up that comic that I... I loaded in there and you guys helped me with. This is my favorite uh, comic strips, Calvin and Hobbes. And Calvin is in front of a television. For those of you who <clears throat> grew up in this generation, that's a television. Um, it used to be a box <laughs> with aerials and all of that. So Calvin and Hobbes are in front of the TV, and Calvin says to Hobbes, I think the short attention span of television is great. As far as I'm concerned, if something is so complicated that you can't explain it in 10 seconds, then it's probably not worth knowing anyway. My time is valuable, Calvin continues. I can't go thinking about one subject for minutes on end. I'm a busy man. Cal and Hobbes interjects, a busy man who's been sitting here for three hours. And Calvin muses, yes, at six thoughts a minute. If you take the Calvin approach to this topic in particular, where we have a short attention span and we're not really interested in learning, 
you're going to have a hard time with this. Um, because the topic that we are going to focus on today, even as you read scriptures, if you read those scriptures quickly, and there are a ton of scriptures about this, if you read them quickly, it'll seem really simple. Like you can get it in 10 seconds. And it's actually a whole lot deeper. It's a whole lot more integrated <clears throat> to the theology of scripture as a whole than maybe we first think. And it's far more important than we realize. Back in December, I was doing some listening prayer time. And during my listening prayer, I thought I heard the Lord say, I'm about to move you, meaning unity, into a season where I emphasize healing. And I said, well, that's great, but I'm going to need some confirmations because that's a big word. That night, I got three dreams. My first dream, it was a comic, actually. And in, in the comic, there was a dog, and the dog made a phone call to an ambulance to call for help for its owner. And I woke up from that dream, and I said, God, what on earth is this about? And he gave me the, the interpretation right away. He said, you guys always pray for healing and expect me to come do it, but you don't participate in it. And yet, in a comic, anything is possible. Hobbes is a stuffed animal, and he talks. That's, what, that's the nature of a comic, right? In that world, anything is possible. Snoopy fights the Red Baron from his doghouse, doesn't he? In a comic, anything is possible. In, in a world with God, anything is possible. And yet the way that our church has constantly gone about healing is we make 911 phone calls to the healer and sit and wait rather than actually participating in a process that Jesus modeled for us. There is more to healing than meets the eye. But if you take the 10-second approach, we will not find it. In my second and third dreams, they had to do with proportion. Basically, God said, give them the big picture and don't overwhelm them and be sensitive. Be sensitive to the fact that anytime we talk about healing, you and I know so many people that we have prayed for and were not healed. You and I have people we are currently praying for and have not yet seen them healed, and we love them dearly. And I know that when we talk about healing, there are conditions and there are people that come to mind. And I bring some of that compassion with me, but I will still be bold in the process of teaching what I believe Scripture says, but it is not in, in sort of um, a calloused way. I have people that I love. I visited them recently in Ontario, and you know those stories, that I am continuing to pray for and want to see healed, okay? But there is also more than the 911 phone call, okay? I got three dreams from God about healing, and in the end, I said, could I have some independent confirmations? 
when I got back here um, from Ontario over the Christmas break, someone called me and said, uh, God's moving us into healing. I got an email from someone else saying, we need to move into healing. I got that, then that Sunday, someone, so last Sunday, someone came up to me and said, I got my full healing. So I had independent confirmations. I got a word from God. I got three dreams. I got independent confirmations. And I needed them. To be perfectly honest with you, I needed them because I didn't want to teach about healing. I do not want to teach about healing. You know why I don't want to teach about healing? Not only because it raises so many questions and people think automatically, well, it looks really simple and easy and therefore we get dismissive like Calvin here. But also because in scripture, it so rarely goes well for Jesus. I'm not starting in John, the healings in John this week. We will start them next week. But there are four healings in John and only one of them goes well for Jesus. There's something about this topic that it raises stuff for people and they react and it doesn't go well for Jesus. Three out of the four, it, ends, it lands Jesus in hot water. The fourth one being Lazarus raised from the dead. And it's at that point that the, the religious leaders decide, for this reason, we will kill him in the Gospel of John. It doesn't go well for Jesus. And I've been wrestling with God about moving into these passages in John with healing for a month. And I couldn't get away from it. I tried. You might say, but Ben, you are sick. You had strep throat a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I did. My whole family did. Four out of five of us. That's a confirmation, actually. When God announces something, what does the enemy do? I had a friend recently tell me, you want to you know where God's working? Look where the enemy is attacking. So be ready. My second or my third dream said, give them the big picture. That's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to give you the big picture, some of like the big broad, um, uh, broad brush strokes, um, big picture stuff in scripture that frame our understanding of healing, right? And then next week we will get down into the first one in John. Big picture number one, blank number one, God is a healer. Please go to Exodus 15, 22. Moses is leading the Israelites and they're out in the desert. So they've just come out of Egypt. They're in the desert. Moses ordered, verse 22 of chapter 15, Moses ordered Israel to set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and they found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. That's why it was called Marah. Marah means bitter. The people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? 
And he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. And he threw the piece of wood into the water, and the water became sweet. Then the Lord made for them a statute and an ordinance. And he said, um, and there he put them to the test, and he said, If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give heed to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will not bring any of the diseases that I... Uh, that I brought upon the Egyptians. I will not bring on you any of the diseases that I brought upon the Egyptians, for I, I'm, I am the Lord who heals you. Do you notice there's two parts to that? Not only will I not put disease on you, I am also the one who heals you, as illustrated by the water made that was bitter and was made clean and healthy and pure. God actually describes himself and part of his own identity that he presents to his people right up front as he's introducing him. I mean, Exodus is introducing God to his people and he describes himself as healer. This is central to who God is. This is not a peripheral thing, which is why we see Jesus focus so much on healing. And we tend to skip over those parts because we've always read it as though, yep, Jesus does wonderful things and we move on. No, this is part of Jesus' identification as God himself. There are prophets in the Old Testament who do the odd healing, but nowhere near like what Jesus does. Because Jesus is presenting himself as God. And God himself defines himself to his people as someone who is their healer. When you think of God, and we called out attributes of God, right? We called out, this is who you are, your redeemer, your friend, your faithful. Did healer come up? Healer is one of the first ways it's described. he is described in scripture. Why is he healer? Number two, because God is compassionate. Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9. I love these two verses. Would you, would you go there? They don't describe him as healer, but they describe compassion. I, I love these two verses. The Lord is merciful, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his compassion is over all that he has made. The Lord is good to all. His compassion is over all that he has made. And we see that again so clearly in Jesus. Everything that Jesus does is out of compassion. In fact, there's one verse in Mark where it says that Jesus saw the crowds coming to them to him and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he taught them because in that instance, his compassion led him to teaching. But then so often you see in, in the gospels that his compassion leads him to healing. They come to him sick and leave well. He's healer. Notice Psalm 103, one to five. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities and who 
heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Compassion of our God. This is central to who he is. God is love. And it, that love expresses itself in compassion leading to action. That's why we see Jesus do all of the healings that he does, because Jesus is the one who most fully represents God. Right? Being God himself, we see God most clearly in Jesus, and he's a healer. That's why they come to him over and over and over again. God is compassionate. Big picture number three. <clears throat> it is an essential part of the kingdom. Jesus links healing and kingdom constantly. How do I show this to you? Okay, um, Isaiah 35. We're going to start there. Isaiah 35 is a prophecy looking ahead. The people um, are about to go into exile, but the prophet is already talking about when they come out of exile. And it's Jesus who will fully bring people out of exile. So it's looking ahead to Jesus himself as the one who is going to fully redeem his people. And the sign that God fully is redeeming his people and establishing his kingdom is, if you will look at the verse, 30, um, chapter 35, verse 5, it says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like deer. The tongue of the speechless shall sing for joy. Do you notice that the miracles Jesus does are primarily eyes and ears and tongues and lame people walking? They're a sign of the kingdom breaking in, which is why Jesus constantly links healing and kingdom. It's an announcement of the kingdom. It's a demonstration of the kingdom. So, for example, Luke 9, or excuse me, Mark, Matthew 9, verses 7 to 8. I must have got those verse references wrong. It's 10, not 9. Matthew 10. So my, my verse reference in point 3 there, Matthew 10, 7, 8, not 9, 7, 8. He sends out the 12 on a mission. He, what, what Jesus is doing is sending 12 people out two by two so that they can announce what Jesus is doing and prepare the way for Jesus to come. And he empowers them to do what he has been doing. And he gives them the announcement that he has been making. Jesus came and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he went about demonstrating it by healing. And here, what he does is give the same commission that he has been exercising, he has been doing. He now gives that to his disciples. And so he says to them, 
as you go, proclaim the gospel. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And the next thing he tells them is heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. the, The message of the kingdom is demonstrated in the healing. The message of the kingdom is demonstrated in the healing. That's why Jesus does it. That's why he tells his disciples to do it. And that's why he links them even in the teaching itself here. Take another one. The Jesus opening sermon in Luke is in a synagogue. After he's been baptized, he's gone out into the wilderness, he's had his testing, and the very first teaching he does is in his hometown synagogue. Go to Luke chapter 4. You'll see it there, verses 16 to 19. He's quoting Isaiah. So it says, when he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll, and from the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. There's healing. To let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's right in the programmatic, this is a programmatic message. It's like uh, Jesus is saying, everything from here that I'm about to say and do flows out of this. He says, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I was sent for this reason. I'm not sent simply to heal, but I'm, I'm sent because the healing demonstrates that the kingdom is here, that God is becoming king, that he's taking on a war against Satan and everything that the enemy has done to break down the good world that God made. That, that's why healing and kingdom go hand in hand because it's an attack. A healing is an attack on the enemy because the enemy came to attack what God made good, right? We only have the need for healing because sin entered the world and created all of this collateral damage, right? And Jesus comes to undo everything that the enemy had done. Sin, sickness, death, right? That's how healing fits within the kingdom message, the kingdom mission that Jesus had. It's a demonstration of the kingdom So Acts 10.38, which we keep quoting, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That's Peter's summary of Jesus' entire ministry, by the way. Peter is speaking in that verse. Peter's entire summary of Jesus' ministry is that one verse. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And then he goes on to talk about Jesus' death as something separate. But Jesus' entire life ministry prior to the cross gets summed up in that one thing. That's how important healing is to God. That's how important it is 
to Jesus. And that's why it's important, because it's an attack on the enemy to take back what was stolen. That's why Jesus says it's to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. John 10, or John, 1 John 3, 8. Again, you want to summarize Jesus, summarize Jesus' entire life? It does it. He says it in just a couple words. 1 John 3, 8. This, the Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. That's why kingdom and healing go hand in hand. I'm going to skip number four. Randy Clark was a Baptist minister. He's preaching. He'd felt led to preach on healing, but he was still somewhat embarrassed about preaching on healing in his Baptist church. And he's as he's reading through Matthew, um, the verses that I quoted, where um, Jesus says, tells the disciples to go out, preach the good news, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons freely. If you receive freely, you freely give. As he was preaching that message, he, he lowered his voice in embarrassment when he came to raise the dead. And he, he lowered his voice in embarrassment, he said, because he'd never seen someone raised from the dead. He was embarrassed to, to try to, or, or to have to teach something that he had never experienced or knew anyone had experienced personally around him. He said he, I, I think it was after the message, he got into his quiet space with God and he said he got the strongest rebuke from God he'd ever got in his life. And what God said to him was, don't you dare preach your experience. You preach my word. So here's the quote here. Preach my word and let people's, let, let people's experience Rise to it. Preach my word and let people's experience rise up to the level of my word. You don't preach your own experience. That's the call of scripture for us. Is that we preach foolish messages like Baptist churches should have healing. Because that's what scripture says. And our experience needs to get in line with scripture and rise to the level that God has asked us to rise to, not the other way around. Discipleship is about becoming like Jesus. That's a foolish, like a silly thing to say, like, duh, right? It's like saying God is love. Like, you know that already. But you haven't, we haven't 
always made the connection that if discipleship is becoming like Jesus, and Jesus is a healer who links healing and kingdom, then our message and our practice must therefore include saying and doing the things that Jesus said and did. And not very many of us have seen a whole lot of healings. And our experience needs to rise to the word. I'm not going to bring the word down to the level of our experience. Discipleship is about becoming like Jesus, which means you and I are expected to learn to operate in healing like Jesus did. I told you last week I was going to preach foolish messages. I do mean everyone. I do mean everyone. And I had an argument with God about this. <laughs> and he very quickly showed me a couple images of people in the congregation I wouldn't necessarily expect to move in healing ministry, put a hand on the person next to them and start praying and telling things to leave. You can do that. You need some help and some training in how. Because it can be, uh, it can seem on the surface very simple. Jesus makes things look easy, <laughs> okay? I'm not operating at that level. But our experience will rise as we believe his word for it. Your experience and my experience will never rise to God's word if we don't believe it. Discipleship is about becoming like Jesus, which means we're going to need some training. The first thing that I have noticed as I have shared this with people before is that the first thing that comes to mind for them is that they think and say, but I don't have the gift of healing. So number six, gifts are not the focus. If he tells you to do it, you can do it. That's the second blank. If he tells you to do it, his command enables you to do it. How many commands does Jesus make that enable someone to do what they can't otherwise do in Scripture? Rise, take up your mat, and walk. He says to someone who does not have the ability to walk. If he commands us to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, and cast out demons, that command enables us to do it if you believe his word. It's not about gifts. It's about commands. It's you're already able to. You're not able to do anything. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But the command itself enables you to do it. Yes, some people have extra gifts for healing. Just like some people have extra gifts for worship but they're not the only ones who worship. 
Some people have extra gifts for evangelism, but they're not the only ones who are supposed to evangelize. Some people have extra gifts for hospitality and you just love having people in your home. It's your jam. It doesn't let the rest of us off the hook for whom that's a little bit more challenging. Gifts are additional graces, but you all have the grace already for the basic stuff we have been commanded to do. It's not about gifts. We can talk about spiritual gifts another time, but don't let that cloud this very plain and basic teaching that if he has told you to do it, you have the ability to do it. Stand up and walk. The command makes it possible, what is otherwise impossible. You can do it. We can do it, but we have to start believing it and letting our experience rise to the level of Scripture. Questions? Was it? That's awesome. That's a cool God thing there because um, I very much intended the other verses, um, and yet those verses are also highly applicable. And we haven't talked about authority, but I love that that verse brings it up because authority is a whole other section of the big picture that I just don't have time to get into. But you're right, we should go there, and that's awesome. So thank you for raising that and pointing that out, that God was making sure that we made that point this morning. So let me give you um, a very brief teaching on authority. You have authority. It started in Genesis. I have given you dominion, God says to man and woman, over everything in creation. So the hierarchy in creation goes God, human beings, everything else. And he expects you to exercise his power and his authority on his behalf. That's why you're an image bearer. It's the whole function of image bearing. So when Jesus does what he does, he is showing what it is to be truly human. And then he will say, I have given you, as he sends out the 70, he says, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will by any means hurt you. When he sends out the 70 and he commands the 70 to heal the sick. That's why I put it in, um, I didn't get to it. That's number four, Luke 10, nine. He commands the 70 to heal not even just his 12 disciples, because I think you're part of that crowd. Thanks, Joel. Other questions? Connor. 
Man, that's such a huge, that's a great question and a huge topic. And I have not plumbed the depths of that topic. So Connor's question is, what about the role of the person being healed? Because often in scripture, you will see that Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Go and let it be done for you according to your faith, Jesus will say to someone else. Yes. Yes. So um, Connor and Dwight are, are just reminding us of other instances in the Gospels where faith is a key component, uh, whether it's the woman who, who reaches out and touches the hem of Jesus' garment, or whether it's going to Jairus' house or the centurion's, uh, the healing of the centurion's son, where it's done at a distance, and it's dependent uh, on not the, the person who's being healed, but the faith of someone else. Um, I don't know how to break it down more than faith is simply an essential component of healing. In fact, you will see that um, Jesus says, I believe it's in Luke. Uh, Luke says that um, when, when Jesus goes, I believe it's back to his hometown, there was so much disbelief there that he could, do, he could not do many miracles because of their lack of faith. But what else does it? Except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. God just seems to require faith and not always in the person being healed, but um, maybe the person coming. It, I'm going to talk a lot more about this next week as we start talking about the process in which Jesus goes about healings because they're different at different times. And we're going to talk about why that is a little bit, but faith is an, an essential component of that. Um, it seems like in most cases. And uh, to give you a tip in advance, it's because in almost all healings, God requires some form of participation on the person being healed. But I'll talk more about that next week. But as you go into your scriptures this week, notice that there's almost always some form of participation in the healing that the person receiving it or the person coming on the behalf of another has to do. Did you want to say something else? Yeah, that's that's a good point. So Dwight's saying that, you know, when the disciples get sent out, whether it's the 12 or the 70, um, they come back amazed. In other words, they didn't go out with as much faith as they came back with. So it, it's not that always that your faith has to be at a certain level. I mean, that the, the man who comes with the demonized boy who's epileptic to Jesus says, um, you know, if you can heal him, please heal him. And Jesus says, if you can. And he says, Lord, uh, you know, that's the one where he says, um, I believe, help my unbelief, Right. The, the, the smallest amount of, heal, of faith you can see in strip, scripture still gets an epic healing. Um, 
So I, I don't fully understand the relationship between faith and healing other than there, there's some relationship, but I don't know if I can narrow it down to a rule. Um, if someone can, please let me know. Because uh, I don't pretend, like, I've read quite a bit about healing, and I've seen a few here. Um, but that, that's why I picked this Calvin and Hobbes comic. I saw it at Christmas time and immediately thought of healing because it seems so simple because we're so used to 10 seconds. And if it takes more than 10 seconds to think about, it must not be true. And you know what? There are depths to healing that it, it just requires more thought and it requires a lot of humility. So let's talk about the last point, preparing. We need a whole lot more humility as we go into this. And I say this as someone who had arguments with a friend in this sanctuary when he came to talk to me about healing a couple of years ago. Paul left so-and-so in Philippi or wherever it was, and he wasn't healed. And, you know, what about Paul's thorn in the flesh? And, you know, I, I had all of these arguments, and I had to unlearn some things. I had to be willing to listen to a different perspective. I had to be sent back to scriptures I had read before and see things I hadn't seen before. It requires more than 10 seconds of attention. It requires actually a lot of learning. Um, prepare for attack, number two. Like I said, three out of four of Jesus' healings in the Gospel of John don't end well for Jesus. They make him enemies. And if you're gonna if you're gonna believe this, and if you're gonna step into it, if we are going to as a church, it will make us enemies. Some in here and some out there. It, it's par for the course. Be ready for it. But it will make us spiritual enemies. I said this to you at the beginning. You want to know where God's working? Look where the enemy's attacking. Which means that if you are going to believe this teaching and step into it, you better start putting on the armor of God every day. You better start praying over your family for additional protection. You better start claiming Psalm 91 until you've memorized it. Because this is frontline work in a way that it's not, not, not everything about what we do is frontline work. So you better pray for our church. And the people in particular within our church who have said, yes, God is calling me into this in additional ways beyond simply the grace that everyone is given to put a hand on someone and say, I rebuke that fever in Jesus' name, as Jesus did. Please pray for us. Lastly, if the word that I heard, that I then had dreams about, that then got, I believe, confirmed three or four different ways, if that's for our church and if that's true that God is taking us into a season of healing, um, God always requires that we participate in what it is that he has said that he wants to do. He says to Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? And Ezekiel says, only you know, Lord. And God tells him what to do. Prophesy to the bones. 
And so Ezekiel has to prophesy. and The bones come together, but there is no breath in them. So he says, prophesy to the breath and send the breath. God requires participation. We have to pray these things in. Do you want to pray it in as a church that God would make us a church where people get healed? Physically, emotionally, spiritually. Then you pray protection over us, over this church, and you pray that God would do what he said he would do. Because he always, almost always, when God says he will do something, requires people to step into that. There's something required on our part, and it includes prayer. We have to pray this thing in. Just like I've come to fill unity, you need to empty yourselves. We have a part to play. Have we prayed that one in? Have we emptied ourselves? Preparation. Read every scripture you can on healing. Go back and read Elijah and Elisha. Go through the Gospels. Read them slowly. Notice what's different. Notice how God requires participation. Notice his heart. We sang this morning, break my heart for what breaks yours. Notice the link between compassion and God's activity and healing. And the fact that he's then equips his disciples to go and share his heart with other people. He doesn't just send them with a message. He sends them with his heart. If you want to move in this ministry, start asking for more love. Break my heart for what breaks yours. And come with your questions. I was once told in seminary that there are times where someone will have a question and until they get their question answered, they cannot move past. And so they won't hear anything else that you're teaching or saying. So come with your questions and let, let's talk so that we can then move past them and step into the inheritance that God has for us. Let's pray. Lord, everything that is of me, would you please let fall to the carpet and stay here? Everything that is of you, I, I pray that good seed lands in good soil and is nurtured the way that good seed should be. Would you make us faithful with the good seed? Lord, I pray protection over this church, over our families, over our children, over our leadership, over our finances and property. You, you say in Psalm 91 that you will command your angels concerning us to guard us in all our ways and on their hands they will bear us up so that we will not dash our foot against a stone. Lord, would you do that for us as a church? That your will would be done. 
that your kingdom would come and that we would we would do our part in seeing your kingdom come praying it in praying in your will Lord, would you show us our part in it that we may be found faithful before you. Lord, when I stand before you, when we stand before you one day, I want to make sure that I I was obedient to your scriptures, to the things that you are saying, and faithful with the things that you are doing. Lord, would you give us a renewed vision for who Jesus is for us today. That that no disciple will be above the master, but a fully trained disciple will be like the master. Would you make us like the master? Would you anoint us with the Holy Spirit and with power that we would go about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil because you are with us? Would you give us that kind of relationship with you, Lord? that everything that is done would be only to your credit and glory because apart from you, we can do nothing anyway. Lord, would you increase our faith and may our experience rise to the level of your scriptures for the sake of your great name. In Jesus' name. for Roy. There you are. We got some more songs. Good stuff. Let's worship. Thanks for being here to worship our Lord together. May he bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you give you his peace and his presence. In Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings, friends. Thanks for being here. If anyone wants prayer, please feel free to come on up. Love to pray for you.